Good morning and welcome to our Christmas episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today we're going to tell you about the mass murderer, Ronald Simmons. So pour yourselves a strong cup of coffee and let's dive in. We'll continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. We want to welcome you all to our special Christmas episode, and by that we mean this crime occurred around Christmas time. And for whatever reason, Erica and I keep accidentally selecting pretty brutal crimes. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a disclaimer up front that this episode does deal with some very violent crimes, and there are also crimes against children and crimes that involve sexual assault. So I want to give you guys a warning. If that's really bothering for you, we understand. You might just want to skip this episode. Ronald Jean Simmons was born on July 15th, 1940 in Chicago, Illinois, to Loretta and William Simmons. When he was about two and a half years old, his dad, William, passed away from a stroke. And within the next year or so, his mom did get remarried to a man named William Griffin, who was a civil engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This caused Ronald and his family to move around a lot when he was little, with the first move being to Little Rock in 1946, and then multiple other moves across Arkansas. On September 15th, 1957, at 17 years old, Ronald had dropped out of school and decided to join the U.S. Navy. Initially, he was stationed in the Bremerton Naval Base in Washington. And while he was there, he met Rebecca Yolaberry, who went by Becky, and he married her in New Mexico on July 9th, 1960. Over the next 18 years, Ronald and Becky had seven children together. And in 1963, so just three years after they were married, Ronald spent a lot of his life in the military. He, in 1960, well, he joined in 1957 to the Navy. In 1963, he left the Navy, and approximately two years later, he joined the Air Force. He officially retired from all military on November 30th, 1979, at the rank of Master Sergeant. Altogether, he had been in the military for 22 years, and throughout that time, he had actually been given three separate awards. First award was the Bronze Star, which is an award that recognizes acts of heroism performed in ground combat. He was also awarded the Republic of Vietnam Cross, which is a ribbon that was awarded by the Republic of Vietnam to certain units in the U.S. Armed Forces that had been a part of a combat achievement during the Vietnam War. And the third and final award that he was given was the Air Force Ribbon, which can be given out for many different things. However, his was specifically for excellent marksmanship. In April of 1981, Ronald was actually under investigation by the Cloudcroft, New Mexico Department of Human Services after there were allegations that he had fathered a child with his 17-year-old daughter, Sheila. 
At this point, Ronald was concerned that he was going to be arrested, so he picked up his family and they fled to Ward, Arkansas in late 1981. And then in 1983, they ended up moving to Dover, Arkansas. Over time, it was able to be proven that Ronald had actually fathered the child that Sheila had had. However, I will give a spoiler, he was never caught for that. Him and his family started living in a residence in Dover that was 13 acres of land, and it ended up becoming named Mockingbird Hill. This area had, or this house had been constructed of two older model mobile homes that had been combined together to form a large home. It was surrounded with a makeshift privacy set fence that was about 10 feet tall in some places. They also did not have a telephone or indoor plumbing at this location. Part of me thinks that that was Ronald's way of staying off the grid so that he wouldn't be caught for things that he had done. But it also may have just been a controlling mechanism of his because he was very controlling with his family and really wanted to be kind of the center of attention, I think. Over time, he worked a string of low-paying jobs in a nearby town, and eventually he ended up kind of quitting all these places. That He was working as an accounts receivable clerk at Woodline Motor Freight, but he ended up quitting after there were multiple reports that he was making sexual advances inappropriately. He also worked at the Sinclair Mini Mart for about a year and a half, but he ended up quitting that December 18th, 1987. That is the last job that Ron had worked. And a couple days later, on December 22nd, 1987, Ron was at home with his wife, his son, and his granddaughter. Four of his children were at school at the time. And Ron just snapped. There's not really a whole lot of evidence backing up what happened in this moment. He just all of a sudden snapped and started his murder spree. So he first shot and killed his wife, Rebecca. Then he shot and killed his eldest son, 29-year-old Gene. And then he strangled his three-month-old granddaughter, Barbara. At this point, Ronald ended up moving the three bodies into a pit that he had in the back of the house, which something really terribly, terribly wrong and sadistic about this is he had actually had his children dig this pit a few days prior because he had told them that they were building a third family outhouse and they needed another pit dug. However, this ended up becoming the grave for multiple people. Which I think is interesting because, you know, seemingly he kind of just lost it, but this, this points to more of a premeditation. He obviously was planning something at the time that he had dug this hole or had his children dig this hole. It doesn't seem like anything specific triggered him that day. There's not anything reported that specifically triggered him to start these killings on the 22nd of December. After he put the bodies of his wife, son, and granddaughter in the pit in the back, he waited for his four children to get home. When Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Becky returned home from school, he told them each that he had Christmas presents for them, but he said he wanted to give them to them one at a time. So he took them out one by one to the back of the house and strangled each of his children, and he held their heads underwater and drowned them. He then put these four bodies in the pit in the back of the house as well. At this point, Ronald had murdered his wife, five of his children, and one of his granddaughters. It's at this point that 
Ronald basically just kind of hangs out in lounges and drinks beer in just the worst, you know, like creepy manner. Like he's not reacting. He's just hanging out the house. So these murders happened on December 22nd. And four days later on December 26th, um, they had plans for the older children of the family to come to Christmas at the house. And they were going to do a dinner. And it's at this point on December 26th that 23-year-old William H. Simmons II, um, also referred to as Billy, and his wife, who was 21-year-old Renata May Simmons, and their 21-month-old son Trey, came over to the house as planned to have a Christmas dinner. Unfortunately, when they arrive, William and Renata are shot. He ends up just leaving their bodies by the dining room table and covers them with their coats and bedding. He then takes their son, Trey, and he murders him in the same method that he did his other children, where he suffocates and drowns him. He then places Trey's body into the trunk of a car behind the home. As mentioned, the older kids were supposed to come and have a, a Christmas dinner, and this includes Sheila, who at this time is 24 years old. She is the daughter of Ronald that he was accused of sexually assaulting. And she had arrived with her now husband, who is 33-year-old Dennis Raymond McNulty. And they had two children with them. One of them was seven-year-old Sylvia, who was believed and I think later proven to actually be the daughter of Ronald Simmons from him sexually assaulting Sheila. And then together, Sheila and her now husband, Dennis, had a 20-month-year-old son named Michael. It's at this point that Ronald shoots Sheila, and again, she he takes her to the dining room and puts her on the dining room table, covers her with the tablecloth, and then shoots Dennis and strangles Sylvia to death. He also murdered the 21-month-old Michael and put him into the trunk of another car that was parked on the property. At this point, Ronald has murdered 14 members of his own family at their house. And it's at this time that he takes their bodies and lines them up in the what's referred to as the lounge of the home and then covers them with tablecloth bedding. Like I mentioned, he leaves his two grandsons in abandoned cars on the property. And similar to before, the next chunk of time, he's just kind of home hanging out, drinking and watching TV. And I think that really points to how messed up of an individual this is. He clearly is not having remorse and he's a disgusting person. Before we move on in the story, something that kind of struck me and I know Eric has mentioned too, I'm very surprised, and obviously none of this is on his family, but I'm surprised that this family was still tight-knit enough to like come together for Christmas because he's such a terrible person. And it was really kind of shocking to me. And like I said, nothing on the family that's not their fault even remotely, but it's just, I, I, that struck me as interesting. I do find it interesting as well. And I, yeah, surprising. They were still planning on going over there. From what we know about him, it sounds like he was kind of an asshole, but, you know, family's family. So I I get where it can be hard to kind of draw that line. Unfortunately, Ronald Simmons' murder spree is not over. And we will tell you more about the rest of the story after an ad. So later on the day that he had uh, murdered the eldest children, so the 26th, 
he went to Russellville and went to a Sears and got some Christmas gifts, actually, that they had ordered that had gotten delivered late, which is, again, insane. (laughs) And then he goes to some private club and hangs out and then goes back home for the weekend. On Monday, December 28th, he takes Ronald Jr.'s car and goes to Walmart and buys a gun. And as Erica mentioned earlier, Ronald worked a lot of odd and end jobs, a lot of which didn't work out for various reasons because he was a terrible person and people knew it. And it's probably why he couldn't hold down a job because he can't sexually harass people and keep working. That's not, you know, how it works. So he has a little bit of animosity towards these companies or these people involved in these companies that he feels were responsible for him getting fired or for him leaving. And so what he does is he goes to the Peel, Eddie and Gibbons law firm and he goes into the building and shoots and kills a receptionist named Kathy Cribbins Kendrick. He then continues his spree and goes to a place he was previously employed called the Taylor Oil Company, where he shoots Russell Taylor, who is actually the owner of the Sinclair Mini Mart, where Ronald had worked. And Russell does survive the shooting, but unfortunately, he goes on to shoot and kill J.D. Chaffin, who is a fireman and a part-time truck driver for Taylor Oil. He also shoots at another employee, but he missed, thank goodness, and then takes off. It's at this point, obviously, that the oil company calls the police. They call and say, hey, this guy is killing people and he's on the move. And so police are made aware. And Ronald makes his way to the Sinclair Mini Mart, again, where he used to work, and he shoots two people there. Two of these employees that were shot did survive and their names were Roberta Woolery and David Saylor. He then makes his way to the Woodline Motor Freight Company, and he also used to work here. And he's looking for the woman who was his supervisor at the time of his employment, and her name is Joyce Butts. And he shoots her, hitting her in the head and the chest. He then takes one of the workers named Vicki Jackson at gunpoint into an office and tells her, hey, call the police. He says, quote, I've come to do what I wanted to do. It's all over now. I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me. I just wanted to kill Joyce, just Joyce. And so she calls the police and he basically just like stands there with her. And when the police arrive, he just gives them his gun and he just surrenders. He just goes with them. He's like, okay, I'm done. Joyce does end up surviving this after the murder spree that actually was only about 45 minutes long. And at the end of it, he had killed two people and four had been injured. It's at this point, the police have him in custody and they're trying to reach his family and they can't get a hold of anybody. And so obviously they're concerned. So they drive up to the home And as Erica mentioned earlier, it was a little isolated. It was a little bit off the beaten path. And that's when they discover that he had murdered 14 members of his family as well. I'm willing to bet that they had no idea that that's what they were going to come across was 14 more bodies that had very recently been killed like that. Obviously, he was going on a murder spree in that moment in the offices and stuff, but like I don't think that they were expecting to see such a gruesome 
seen at the house as well. You hear about people who go on like shooting sprees and shoot up places like sometimes they do murder members of the family. But I mean, at this point, he has killed 16 people and injured many others. It's just absolutely insane. Ronald is assessed and is deemed to stand trial and he's appointed defense attorneys and the trial is held and as you can imagine he is found guilty it actually took the jury less than six hours in his first trial to deliberate and deem him guilty no surprise and on may 12 1988 he is convicted for the deaths of jd chaffin and kathy kendrick from this trial he is sentenced to death by lethal injection plus 147 years something interesting that kind of goes along with his surrender i guess is that he refused all rights to appeal to this verdict and sentencing i do find that really interesting that he accepted that you know part of me wonders too though if he just like i mean what's the point you know and appealing you clearly did this it clearly did it your whole family's already gone i and i i don't think he was feeling any sort of remorse at this point i maybe he was i Mm -hmm. I didn't know him at the time but i feel as though he probably yeah just kind of given up on the whole thing just didn't care but i do find it like you said to the secretary like he killed everyone he wanted to which is such a sadistic thing but yeah i mean if he was really that you know terrible of a person and that's truly what he wanted maybe he was just accepting what was going to come next Mm -hmm. he then went to trial again for the deaths of his family members and on february 10th 1989 he was found guilty of 14 counts of capital murder this is when we kind of start to see maybe a little bit of motive come up so there was a note that was presented during the trial and it's kind of discussing Ronald's relationship with his daughter Sheila obviously from what we know he sexually abused her and as you could imagine this developed a um, really really tough relationship between Sheila and her father again understandably there was some talk that potentially she was going to finally come forward and get him in trouble for what had happened and hold him responsible for being a piece of shit and um, they found a note, and I don't know if this is the note they talked about in court, but he wrote Sheila a note saying, um, you have destroyed me and you have destroyed my trust in you and I'll see you in hell. You know, this just kind of goes along with a few notes and letters that came up that's really proving that Ronald had this anger towards Sheila because he was scared he was going to get in trouble for what he did. And interesting enough, when these letters are brought up, there was some discussion on whether or not they should be admissible, but the judge ruled them admissible. And Ronald freaked out and he ended up punching someone in the face and was going for one of the deputy's handguns. And this was all basically right before the jury was supposed to go into deliberation. So obviously this did not help his case. And again, he's sentenced to death by lethal injection. And again, he waives his rights to an appeal. He says, he makes some comments, really don't know how I feel about them, but I'll read them to you guys anyway. He says, quote, in my particular case, anything short of death would be cruel and unusual punishment, end quote. 
one of his defense attorneys said that he was ready to die and he was at peace with it and he he had wanted to be put to death. I can't say I'm upset about these notes. I mean, I, I don't think that he should have lived after everything that happened. He agreed caused a lot of trauma and chaos and everything. And I just I don't know. I agree with the sentencing for once. In my mind, I'll say there's no rehabilitation for this. And even if there is, you don't deserve to be released or have any type of normal life after this. There was some, a little bit of discourse following some of these with whether or not he, with whether or not he was competent enough to waive his rights for appeal. Um, it ends up going to the Supreme Court and they kind of throw this out and they're like, no, like <laughs> this guy, it doesn't matter. You know, at this point he waived his rights and he was competent and fit to stand trial and the trial, the verdict in the sentencing is sound. Something interesting that I came across. So at this time, Bill Clinton was actually the governor. So on May 31st, 1990, he actually signed Ronald Simmons' second execution warrant. He recently had kind of said that maybe he wasn't competent to waive his right to appeal. And it did have a it did inflict a stay of execution, but again, it comes forward and, like I said, Bill Clinton actually signed this execution warrant. Another interesting fact about this was that this was the quickest sentence to execution to death time in the United States history since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. So I wondered about that. When I had done my research, I had seen the date. So for those of you that don't know, don't know, when we do these cases, Abby and I split it up. So I we cover separate halves of the story so that the rest of it can be our real genuine reactions. However, that is something that I had seen was how quickly he received his sentencing to how quickly he's executed. And mm-hmm. I was I thought to myself, I'd never seen it so fast. So the fact that it was the fastest doesn't surprise me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, usually it can take years and years for it to actually go through yeah like 10 15 20 years it's not that abnormal for somebody to sit on death row mm-hmm. and in this case it's- which it makes sense because you know in so many cases we we obviously talk about wrongful conviction so it's good that that's in place this one there's no there's no doubt there's no doubt yeah there was no question about whether or not he did it or whether or not the sentencing was right like that they they did everything correctly i think as i had mentioned earlier there is kind of some theories about what happened and why he he committed these crimes and part of that was maybe because his daughter was finally going to come forward another one of these reasons was that it's kind of said i don't know how much validity there is to it but that his wife was going to leave him and in theory because of who he was if his wife was leaving maybe his kids would be leaving too and clearly he had some control issues, so maybe that could have potentially pushed him over the edge. Either way, he was sentenced to be put to death and he refused any visitors. And his last words were, quote, justice delayed finally be done is justifiable homicide, end quote. And Ronald Simmons was put to death by lethal injection on March 16th, 1989. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. 
You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.